Turn with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 10. As you do that, I have a question for you. Who, of all of the people in the New Testament, who do you think gets the worst rap? Now, I'm talking about a bum rap here. I'm not talking about a musical style or anything like that. I'm talking about who in the New Testament you think is unfairly treated and has a bad reputation because of the stories we tell about them. I was thinking about that this week. First person to come to my mind isn't even in the Bible, but we still talk about him or her all the time. You know the innkeeper in Luke chapter 2? There is no innkeeper there, but we always we always heap on, how dare you say there's no room in your inn for Jesus. When in reality it was probably a family friend who had some guest rooms and and family had crowded in, those guest rooms were full up, and rather than turning Mary and Joseph away, someone in that family cared enough to find them a place even though there wasn't any room left and found them a stable where they, I think they get a bum rap there. Even worse than that, though, I I couldn't help but think about Thomas. You remember Thomas, the guy that missed the first Sunday night service in Christian history? Maybe you should be here tonight, I don't know. But Thomas, you, you remember Thomas. Jesus, this is what you might not remember. Jesus had just finished. It happened during Holy Week. Just days before, Jesus had been telling His disciples, if anyone comes to you and says, here is the Christ, here is the Messiah, don't believe them. In fact, if someone comes to you and says, the Messiah is here in the inner rooms, don't believe them. And now on Sunday, somebody comes up to Thomas and says, hey Thomas, we've seen Christ the Messiah. And, and Thomas does exactly what Jesus said to do. He does, he says, I won't believe until I see the, the wounds in his hands and side. And here he's doing what Jesus said, and we've branded him as Doubting Thomas ever since. I don't think that's quite fair. I really don't. However, I'd like to add a third person to that list today. A third possibility of the worst bum rap in all of the New Testament. I'd like to present for your consideration the story of Martha. You remember Martha, right? Martha, the sister of Mary and Lazarus, the friend and the hostess to Jesus. If you don't remember that story, it's there in Luke chapter 10. Hopefully you found it. If you don't have a Bible, you can use one of the pew Bibles. You can look it up online one way or another. Luke chapter 10. Martha's story starts down in verse 38 of Luke chapter 10. It ends that chapter. Her story goes something like this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made and she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. 
And from those short verses, from that brief little story, we have painted a picture of Martha that I'm not sure is fair. We tend to view Martha as, as a jealous busybody who can't stand to see anyone, let alone her sister Mary, take a moment of ease at the feet of Jesus. She's the woman so caught up in housework that she, she neglects the Savior in her sitting room. Martha. Think about it. How many sermons have you heard on this passage of Scripture in which the moral of the story presented has been, whatever you do, don't be like Martha. In fact, the seed for this sermon series came from a sermon just like that. told you this before, but in case you've not been here, in case you're visiting with us, the idea for this sermon series was first planted in my mind when I myself was sitting in a church service not too long ago, and the sermon was on this passage of Scripture. And the preacher was preaching about Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And he, he said something, and I hear I'm paraphrasing, but he said something to this effect, that everyone who finds their way to the feet of Jesus finds grace, acceptance, and healing at his feet. I told you that story. I told you how that got me thinking. I wondered, is that really true? The thinking got me reading, started reading through the Gospels. And as I was reading through the Gospels, the Spirit seemed to nudge me in the direction of this At His Feet series. And so for the last six weeks, we've been exploring this hypothesis ever since. The hypothesis for this whole series has been, you can find what you really need at the feet of Jesus. But that sermon, like so many others I've heard on this text, really did have as its moral, whatever you do, don't be like Martha. Of course, as I was reading and studying it this week, so I started taking a fresh look at this story. I'm not convinced that that really is the moral of Martha's story. And don't miss the point here. This is Martha's story. Yes, Mary appears, and we'll talk a little bit about her, but we tend to focus in on Mary in this story but the story is about Martha. In fact, I would suggest that it very well may be Martha more than anyone else in this story who finds what she needs at the feet of Jesus. I don't think we understand Martha. I'm not sure we understand the influence that Martha had. We tend to underestimate her. To us, she's just a busy housewife. But consider what you know about Martha's household. We read about them here in Luke. We read about them in John as well. It's Mary, her, it's Martha, her sister Mary, and their brother Lazarus. All of these accounts place them in a village. John tells us the name of the village is Bethany. No mention in any of those passages, however, is made about Martha, Mary, and Lazarus's parents, suggesting to us that this household consists of a family who's Parents have died, leaving surviving adult children after them. Now normally in those circumstances, when the parents have died and adult children remain normally in those circumstances, the property of the parents would be inherited by the oldest son, who would then take the responsibility as head of the household 
to, to provide for the family and especially any, under, any unmarried sisters he may have had. If there are multiple sons, the oldest will get a double portion. You hear that, Mom? The oldest gets the double portion. And then you'd use that to take care of those unmarried sisters. Yet notice how Luke describes the encounter in those verses we just read. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Martha welcomed Jesus into her home. Now it should be noted that not every ancient manuscript in the Greek has those words, her home. Because those words aren't included in every manuscript, not every translation includes them. Some just talk about Martha welcoming Jesus. But in those manuscripts that do say where Jesus was welcomed, it was welcomed into her home. Even without those words. In this story, Martha is filling the role. Not her brother Lazarus. In fact, Lazarus isn't even mentioned by Luke. Martha is filling the role as head of the household. It is her home, and she welcomes Jesus into it. it tells us that despite the presence of a, a brother, a surviving brother, Martha has inherited. Martha heads up this family. Her, her parents and her community had placed considerable trust in her. She must have been one of those formidable women of Scripture. She was someone with influence. I also don't know that we understand just how appropriate Martha's actions actually are. Notice again what it says in verse 38. It says, Martha welcomed Jesus into her own home. The NIV says, opened her home to Him, but the word is to welcome. Now if we're reading that passage in context, we're not just reading Luke chapter 10, but also 9 as well. We know that in Luke chapter 9, Jesus has just finished telling His disciples, whoever welcomes Me, welcomes the One who sent Me. We'd also know that in Luke chapter 9, Jesus bypasses an entire Samaritan village, all because they refuse to welcome Him as He passes through. In fact, the disciples are so offended by that, they ask Jesus, can we call fire down out of heaven to burn them up for treating you like this? Because Jesus doesn't let them. But not being welcomed was offensive. In chapter 10, at the very beginning of this chapter, Jesus sends out 72 of His disciples for ministry. He gives them instructions as they go. He tells them to bring healing and forgiveness every place they are welcomed but to shake the dust of any place that does not welcome them from their feet. And now we're told at the end of chapter 10 that Jesus and His disciples are on their way into Martha's village. And Martha, using another form of this same root word here, Luke tells us Martha goes out and welcomes Jesus into her home. Martha does what she is supposed to do. She received Jesus that day. What's more, I'm not sure we give Martha credit for everything that Martha did. Look with me at verse 39 now. 
she had, Luke tells us, she had, Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. It would be possible for us this morning to read right past the importance of that verse. I really could preach an entire verse on that, or an entire sermon on that verse about Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. In fact, when I started studying at the beginning of this week, that's the sermon I thought I was preaching today about Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Kids, this is important. I think this is one of the answers in your children's bulletin, and this is one I think I have out of order, so make sure you find that one in there. Mary welcomed, or Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. That's important. It's important because it is surprising. To sit at someone's feet, we said already in this series, to sit at someone's feet is the posture of discipleship, right? Remember the posturing of the Pharisees and teachers of the law crowding into Jesus' house in Capernaum, crowding in there so much so that the four friends bringing their paralyzed buddy to the feet of Jesus. They have to dig through the roof. They have to dig through the roof and lower him because all those Pharisees are sitting at Jesus' feet as if they were disciples. But they show no interest in being discipled. Now we see Mary in this same posture. Sitting at the feet of the rabbi. Now what we might not realize is that in Jesus' day, women were not welcome to sit at the feet of a rabbi. In fact, one of the main rabbis in Jesus' lifetime and shortly after, uh, one of the main rabbis, along with Gamaliel, the rabbi Eleazar, said, uh, said it would be better to burn the Torah than to teach it to a woman. In fact, he said to teach the Torah to a woman is tantamount to blasphemy. In Jesus' day, women just didn't sit at the feet of the rabbi. Yet here is Jesus welcoming Mary. In fact, he says her portion is good. Welcoming Mary to sit at his feet just like the rest of his disciples and learn from his word. That's important. I could preach an entire sermon on that. But what we miss in that, however is what Martha is doing at that same time. Part of the reason we miss it is because it doesn't show up in, in every English translation. Uh, we're told that Mary, we're told of Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet. Yet there's a word there that doesn't appear in the NIV, that's in the Greek. It does appear in the King James and some of the other more literal word-for-word -word translations. If you read the King James Version, it tells you she had a sister named Mary, which also, also sat at Jesus' feet. Notice, it's not Mary alone who sits at the feet of Jesus. Mary also sat, implying for us that Martha, her sister, also, the only other person named in the story, Martha, her sister, also found her way to the feet of Jesus and learned there. I'm not sure we understand how important the activity Martha leaves Jesus' feet to do is. Verse 40, you see that there? Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. 
And she came to him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. But notice here what distracted Martha. Notice what it was that she wanted Mary's help with. The NIV says she was distracted by preparations and wanted Mary's help with the work she was doing. The King James Version said she was cumbered about with much serving and wanted Jesus to make it so that she didn't have to serve alone. The word Luke uses there is an important one. Luke says that she was distracted by the diaconia she was distracted by diaconia and she was upset that mary had left her to diaconeo alone you say that means nothing to me pastor well let me explain those two words are closely related they come from the same word family and that word family is an important one in the greek new testament especially the parts of the New Testament written by Luke, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And that word, diakonia, can refer to serving someone food as they sit at the table. So we see uh, when Jesus goes to Peter's house and finds that Peter's mother-in-law is in bed sick with a high fever, Jesus drives the fever out of her, and she gets up and she begins serving. That word, diakonia, she begins or diakoneo, she begins serving Jesus and his disciples. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a story about some servants whose master is away, but they watch and they wait for him to return. And when the master finally comes back, he finds them waiting. And Jesus says, won't that master, when he comes back in, sit his servants down at the table and serve them, diakoneo, serve them food. Yet Luke also uses that word not just to describe routine food service, but something far more significant than just waitressing. In fact, it's no mistake, it's no accident that that word family, diakonia, diakoneo, no accident that that word family gives its name to one of the two New Testament Classes of ordained ministers, elders and deacons, diaconia, deacon. This is not just service that Martha is doing. What she is doing is ministering. Notice how that word is used elsewhere by Luke. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, Judas is, has killed himself following his betrayal of Jesus. The disciples, the apostles in Jerusalem are seeking someone to replace Judas. And in particular, they're looking for someone to take his place of apostleship and fill his role of ministry, of diaconia. Later on in Acts, in Acts chapter 6, the church in Jerusalem is growing. And it grows to the point where the, the twelve apostles can no longer effectively oversee ministry to everyone that belongs to the church and so they appoint seven others to help them in ministry to oversee the daily distribution of food why they say we're going to do this Acts 6 4 we're going to do this so that we can devote ourselves the disciples say so that we can devote ourselves to prayer 
and to the diakonia, to the, to the ministry of the Word. Towards the end of Acts, in Acts chapter 21, Paul's been traveling through Asia Minor and, and Greece and Macedonia. He's been collecting offerings to take back to the church in Jerusalem that is suffering as a result of a famine. He's collecting this money. He's taking it back to Jerusalem. And when he gets back to Jerusalem, he meets with the elders of the Jerusalem church, James and the other elders. And when he meets with them there in Acts chapter 21, he says he gives an account. He gives an account of all that God has accomplished among the Gentiles through his diakonia, his ministry. Martha is distracted by ministry. The thing that distracts her, that pulls her away from the feet of Jesus, isn't just busy work. It's not just trying to impress a visitor to her house. She's distracted, Luke says, by ministry. You still want to argue with me that women aren't allowed to be ministers? Here she is, engaged in ministry. You want to argue with me and tell me that that ministry is, is about preaching the Word. It's not about meeting the physical needs of others. It's not about feeding the hungry or making sure the homeless have a place to sleep or welcoming the stranger to your city. This is what Martha is doing. And Luke says it is ministry. We fail to catch that sometimes. Finally, I'm not sure that we really see the choice that Jesus presents to Martha and that Luke, by telling her story, presents to us. See, every time I've ever heard the story preached, every time I've ever read this story, I've read it as if it was giving us a choice between doing what Martha did and doing what Mary did. And we know the moral of the story, whatever you do, don't be like Martha. But notice that's not the contrast that Jesus sets up here. It is not the choice between sitting and serving. Look at those last two verses with me one more time. Verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, says the newer NIV, or indeed only one. Other manuscripts and thus other translations just say only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha, Martha, Jesus says. It's hard for us not to hear that and not hear a note of exasperation in Jesus' voice, right? Martha, Martha. No. We've talked about this. In the Bible, when someone's name is spoken twice, that's not a sign of exasperation. It's a, it's a sign of affection. Dearest Martha would be a good way to translate that here. Jesus is expressing words of affection and affirmation. The first thing he says to Martha isn't shame on you. His first words to her are words of affirmation and affection. Dearest Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. But only one is needed. You see the choice there? 
This is the choice that Jesus is giving Martha and the choice that Luke is setting before us. It's not choose whether to sit or choose to serve. It's about choosing the one thing I ask of you or trying to do everything that you think needs done. That becomes even more apparent when you read a little bit farther and you realize that Jesus does not hold out Mary's choice as being a better choice. You say, hold on, Pastor, you just read the verse. Mary has chosen what's better and it won't be taken from. Well, actually, Jesus says that the portion Mary chosen, that Mary has chosen is good. Mary has chosen the good portion. Mary has chosen the good part. It's our tendency to read everything as a competition that makes us assume that if Mary's is somehow good, Martha's is somehow bad. If sitting is good, serving must be bad. Does it have to be? Can it be that God calls different people to different ministries at different times in their life? Just because Mary's choice to sit at Jesus' feet is good does not mean that Martha's choice to serve must be bad. I'd love to talk to you more about that, but I don't have time. Meet me back here tonight, 6 o'clock p.m. We'll look at it a little bit more. I'd suggest, however, that, Mary, that Martha's error here isn't in choosing to serve. It's in assuming that if everyone else isn't serving the way, same way she is, they must not be serving at all. And maybe when we understand it in that light, Jesus' words to Martha, dearest Martha, can be as liberating as they were intended to be. Jesus doesn't look at Martha and say, Oh Martha, why can't you be more like your sister? Jesus looks at Martha and says, Dearest Martha, stop worrying. You don't have to be everything to everyone. All you need to be is what I have called you to be. All you need to do is the one thing I've asked you to do. And let others be obedient as well. You see why I think it's not just Mary, but Martha also, who found what she needed at the feet of Jesus? Pressured by all of the expectations heaped up on her, trying to do it all and running herself ragged because of it. Jesus says, just be what I've called you to be. What about you? You know how Martha feels? Are you distracted by ministry? By the pressures of service? There's a word here for you. Maybe you were worried about all of the expectations that other people are piling up on you. You're concerned by the pressure to be everything to everyone. There's a word here for you. Maybe you're caught up in the competition that says, if I'm doing what's right, anyone who's not doing what I'm doing must be doing something wrong. There's a word here for you. It's not just Mary and Martha. It's us who find what we need 
at the feet of Jesus.